I would like to begin by saying that, like, um, as opposed to what some archaeologists might say, archaeology, like a lot of things, is not apolitical. How archaeological finds are interpreted and the context in which they are interpreted is as important as the finds themselves, and what interpretation of history a society chooses to emphasize can tell one a lot about it. Today, we'll be uh, talking about the development of archaeology in the former subcontinent, focusing specifically on interpretations of the Indus Valley civilization to discuss both the state of archaeology in India and Pakistan and how interpretations of the Indus Valley civilization during the British Raj have either been adopted and appropriated as in India or largely ignored as in Pakistan. Archaeology as the discipline we know today was born from a colonial past. Like many modern day disciplines, which include those both in the natural and social sciences, but especially the latter. Archaeological study was often used as a tool by colonial regimes to offer a, partic a particular perspective of the past, which would aid in the colonial agenda. Archaeologists, either intentionally or unwittingly, were also very much a part of this process. Uh, under the guise of an objective study of the past, archaeologists not only aided in the colonial process, but also appropriated indigenous histories and disconnected indigenous um, peoples from their past. Oftentimes, these histories were fetishized through an oriental lens, and the colonial subjects and their pasts were portrayed as a savage other as opposed to the civilized and progressive colonizer. One of the most prominent critiques of the hist histori historiography of archaeology has been its, has been its internalist attitude. Um, internalism historiography is a term given to the approach that defines the history of science in terms of the inner <coughs> evolution of scientific ideas. From this perspective, context, that is the political or religious institutions, economic and political sphere, is not especially relevant to explain the evolution of science. Thus, this approach studies the evolution of ideas within the discipline of archaeology, but fails to place these ideas within a broader context. Furthermore, little attention was paid to the impact of ideas and discourses put forth when archaeology was used as a justification for colonialist agenda. Since the 1980s, however, a, crit a critical history of archaeology has emerged, which looks at the development of archaeological thought through an external lens. This perspective seeks to study archaeology within its social, political, and economic context, and seeks, uh, seeks to understand how dominant ideologies and social realities affected the interpretation of archaeological data. Following these studies, I will try to analyze how archaeology has evolved in Pakistan and India, and, and the challenges it faces now. Using colonial and post-colonial representation of the indus Valley civilization in India and Pakistan, I will try and demonstrate how colonial models still impact how archaeologists practice today in India and Pakistan, and how colonial interpretations of the indus Valley civilization impact archaeological practice in both the countries. Uh, okay, for European audiences, a systematic study, a systematic recording of the subcontinent's material history began with travelers and voyagers like J. H. Van Lincolnstein and Pietro della Valle in the 16th and 17th centuries. With the 18th century, um, interest in classical Indian texts led to an interest in identifying monuments and sites to which these texts referred. This historical geographical documenting was achieved through the efforts of scholars like De Anville, De Baron, and Reynolds, amongst others. The establishment of the Asiatic Society in 1784 provided an institutional framework through which systematic studies of India could be conducted. There was an increasing interest during this time by the British to know the country in which they were gaining rapid ascendancy, and there was also a general westerly scholar, scholarly interest in India as a possible source of civilization and culture. These two basic theoretical traditions, the, the, there were two basic theoretical traditions that were prominent during this time. 
On the one hand, were explorers and surveyors like Reynolds, Bachan, and Mackenzie interested in the relatively objective reporting of, and plotting of sites. And on the other hand, were scholars like William Jones, whose basic problem was to link the history of India to other early centers of civilization in the light of, of the bibli biblical theory of creation. There was not much archaeology conducted until the 1830s until early scripts like Brahmi and Karoshti were deciphered, which led to the which led to a clearer understanding <coughs> of the historical framework under which search for sites, monuments, and antiquities um, would take a clearer and more informed shape. Thus, from the 1830s onwards, thus from the 1830s onwards, there was a significant increase in the discovery and sites, uh, study of sites and monuments. So, um, by the 1850s, in the light of increasing pace of the discoveries of the Indian sites and antiquities. The need for a body to systematically catalog these things was um, clear, <coughs> and that, that's when the government of India established the Archaeological Service Survey of India, or the ASI, in 1861. It was founded by Alexander Cunningham, an, a British Army engineer, and he became the body's first director general. So um, of, all the, uh, of all the directors assigned to the ASI between 1861 and 1947, all of whom were white British men, for the purposes of this paper, John Marshall, and Mortimer Wheeler were the two most important ones, as they had a significant part in excavating the Indus civilization and providing interpretations for its finds. So at the time, there was an attempt by uh, European scholars to create in India a fresh historical tradition, one which they had helped discover, and this, atter uh, this um, attitude later carried on into archaeology as well. There was a constant attempt to explain Indian history and belief without taking any input from the Indians themselves and with little understanding of Indian realities. Um, and this can again be seen in archaeological practices. So the Indian civilization was view viewed as relatively more developed and civilized by the British as opposed to other places which they have helped colonize, for example, <coughs> or the Americas. Um, some British scholars viewed India as a lost European culture, one which was heavily influenced by the Greeks and regarded Indians as the closest Europeans in terms of their intellect and culture. So the Indians, uh, but despite that, the Indian civilization was viewed as unchanging and despotic. It was believed that there was a lack of dialectical change in Indian history and that the Indian civilization was static, despotic, despotic and not relevant to the rest of world history. James, Mill, uh, James Mill's History of British India was published in 1817, further built the idea of Oriental despotism. And um, <coughs> Mills divided Indian history into three periods, Hindu, Muslim, and British. In his book, Mill, um, Mills evaluated the value of the culture by its furtherance of nationalism and individualism. He found that since Hindu and Muslim periods in the Indian civilization did neither of those two, um, Indian culture had very little value and very little to offer the world. In his view, only the, with the arrival of the British had Indian civilization moved forward. Or, uh, so on the one hand, while uh, the Indian civilization was viewed, viewed as despotic, on the other hand, it was simultaneously viewed as spiritual. For example, during his analysis of religion in the Indian civilization, Weber emphasized the spiritual aspect of Hinduism and Buddhism and highlighted the ascetic nature of Indian belief systems. This, contracted, uh, this contrast between the material, civilization, material civilizations of the Occident and the spiritual civilizations of the Orient was not only relied upon heavily during the Asian nationalist movements in the 20th century, but also remains prominent to this day. Thus, the Indian civilization was viewed through an Orient, Ori Orientalist lens that continuously co uh, contrasted the Orient to the Occident, whether it be through despotic versus progressive civilization or materialist versus spir spiritual civilizations. These, uh, these lenses were then also applied to the Indus Valley civilization. 
So this is systematic recording and excavation of the IVC began in the 1900s. The city of Mojadara was discovered by accident during the construction of a railway line between Lahore and Karachi. So in 1872, Cunningham published the first Persian seal, but mistakenly identified the seal as containing Brahmini letters instead of an ancient script. The first, prop, uh, the first proper study of the urban civilization was carried out by Marshall in 1922 and 1923, after more seals were discovered. During the during subsequent excavations, the sites of Harappa and Mojadara were discovered. Marshall and uh, so Marshall initially refused to believe that the IVC was a local civilization, and instead argued that it may have been off uh, have been an offshoot of, a, of the Mesopotamian, Mesopotamian civilization. However, Marshall Marshall soon conceded that while the IVC had definitely had trade links with Mesopotamia, it was a different culture. This change of heart was not solely based on evidence, though. At the time, major discoveries in archaeology were being made throughout the world, and quite of them were being made by European archaeologists in colonized lands. For example, in 1922, British archaeologist um, Howard Carter opened King Tutankhamun's tomb in the Valley of the Kings in Egypt. And um, a lot of other uh, archaeological discoveries, such as the unearthing of the rocks and the cemeteries of Ur, were also being done during this time. So um, Marshall wanted his name up there with these archaeologists. So not only did he present the IVC as a new civilization that he helped discover, he also painted a really grand picture of it. Marshall believed that the Indus civilization was not a strict was not a strictly hierarch hierarchical society like those of Mesopotamia and Egypt, and that it was not ruled by ambition by ambitious kings, but almost egalitarian, and therefore different from every other contemporaneous civilization. Gordon Childer took this view even further, further and argued that the Indus civilization was an egalitarian, democratic bourgeois, democratic bourgeois economy, in his words. These theories are reminiscent of the oriental view of India as spiritual, peaceful, and non-materialistic. Thus, despite being challenged later by Wheeler and quite a few other archaeologists as well, views of the IVC as a utopia of sorts still persists, persists today. For example, quite recently, Andrew Robinson, writing for the New Scientist, proclaimed, the Indus civilization seems to have flourished for 700 years without armors, weapons, inequality, or royalty, and argued that the uh, only one instance of fighting had been discovered in Mojadaro, and that, when, that too when the civilization was nearing its end. Marshall also, <coughs> without informing local archaeologists and only crediting himself, published pictures of Mojadaro in the Illustrated London News in 1925. In discussing these photographs, Sudhin Chaguha ar argues that the circulation of photographs was used as currencies of evidence, and also that such, such uses precipitate the making of archaeological evidence and its validation as a form of irrefutable historical truth. So when Wheeler took over from Marshall <coughs> as the director of the ASI, <coughs> he criticized Marshall for how he ran the body on many grounds, one of the most important being that there was no proper, proper training for local, for local archaeologists and thus he founded a school in Taxila to help train Indian archaeologists. However, despite this, um, Marshall uh, uh, Wheeler's views of Indian archaeologists were not particularly kind. This is an, um, uh, a quote from his book, uh, from his biography, Still Digging, and his <laughs> views on Indian archaeologists are not very kind, as you can see, probably. So um, Wheeler worked ex extensively on the IVC, publishing many books and research papers about it, and it has to be acknowledged that quite a bit of his work still remains extremely valuable. However, some of his claims about the IVC were problematic as well. In, this, in, the, in discussing the IVC in his book, The Indus Civilization, Wheeler compares it to the Medif Medif Mesopotamian Civilization, 
and states that while the latter contributed to, to the development of civilization in the West, the same is not true of the Indus civilization, which did not leave enough of an impact to become part of the later culture of Indian civilization, which is debatable, and which was replaced by insurgent barbarians. He argues that the culture of the Indus only contributed to the Indian civilization indirectly through religious beliefs and cited the, of, uh, the cult of cows, bulls, and phallic worship as examples. He further argued that civilization in India had come from Mesopotamia, but this claim of his, like quite a few others, has been challenged, and there is now evidence of a long and deep history of food production in India, as excavations in Mahargar and Balochistan have revealed. However, Wheeler's most interesting contribution to the scholarship of the IVC, one which, despite uh, being proved untrue just a couple of years later, is still being used by right-wing nationalist groups in India, is that of the Aryan invasion theory. Upon discovering a group of skeletons in Mohenjo-daro, Wheeler assumed that they were the result of a battle between the natives and invading Aryan forces. He believed this to be amongst the many causes of the fall of, fall of the Indus civilization and declares that Indra stands accused for the fall of the IVC. He corroborated his theory by referring to the Vedas, Vedas as proof. He argued that along, uh, around the second millennium BC, as the IVC was weakening because of environmental reasons, the Aryan tribes um, inv uh, invaded various cities of the Indus civilization, inclu including Mojadaro, and that this is reflected in the hymns of the Rigveda. His reasoning is in a quote that I've put there in one of his books. So even before Wheeler, however, the presence of the Aryans in India had been a well-accepted belief. The discovery of the IVC came at the time when racial theory of Indian civilization had been, been firmly established in both India and the Britain. And Britain. There was a belief that civilization in India had, had been produced uh, by a clash between the light-skinned light civilizing invading Aryans and the dark-skinned bar barbaric Dravidian natives. At, at first, language, uh, language was used as a proof, as Sir William Jones of the Asiatic, Asiatic Society stressed the common roots of Greek, Latin, and Sanskrit. In the 18th and 19th centuries, race and language were very frequently correlated, and Victorian thought and scholarship built upon the encounter of light-skinned uh, civilized people and dark-skinned savages and, sought to, find, and they sought to find evidence in Sanskrit texts. It was argued that the Indo-Aryans had created what is now the Hindu religion and civilization. And as Topper argues, in the theory of the Aryan race, the 19th century concerns of European religions were transferred to India. Now, most of these theories have been disproven. There is, uh, while there is no proof, uh, uh, while no proof has been discovered of a large kingship or large, large palatial complexes in, Mwenja, in IVC, which is something that is very quite unique to it, we know that there was a hierarchy in Mojadar and Harappa and how the houses are structured. We know now that the Aryan race is mostly based in mythology and that, there, that no such invasion happened. However, these theories are still popular and very much taught in India and Pakistan. In India, the Aryan invasion theory has been used to justify casteism by right-wing groups, while at the same time, the pre presumed egalitarianism and spirituality of the IVC is used to demonstrate superior superiority of the East over the West. So, in Pakistan, while the IVC and the outdated theories related to West are still taught, the Harappan civilization is given very li limited attention outside of academia. When it is given attention, it is in either one of two ways. Either there is an attempt to relate the IVC to Pakistani culture or Islam, or there is an attempt to distant it, distant, pa distant Pakistan from it because it does not relate to its history, its history or culture or religion. And an example of the former, in Sindh, Pakistan, Mohenjo-daro is, is treated as an ancient part of Sindhi culture. Himanshuri, examining the claims to artifacts discovered in Sindh, states that unlike claims to the IVC made by nationalists across the border in India, 
there is a singular lack of any reference to either the Aryans or Dravidians when um, uh, when academic scholarship in Pakistan tries to relate the Indo-Saudi civilization to Pakistani culture and history. Her citation of a newspaper clipping from 1945 by this by a Sindhi government official demonstrates him arguing against sending artifacts for Mohenjo-daro to the Punjab, and he states that if they send their heritage to another province, then, in his words, we shall be permanently deprived of the material of our ancient history. More recently, in 2014, the popular poli popular political group Pakistan People's Party, or PPP, held their synth festival in Mohenjo-daro, with hundreds of people in attendance. The festival was meant to celebrate the culture and heritage of Sindh, which included Mojadaro, although, although it did more harm than good, damaging some of the already badly preserved ruins. So you can see on the picture on the right that they actually built a lot of the things on top of the ruins, and I went there after they did that, and it's just, it wasn't very good. And I find, <laughs> this, and I find this quote from the Secretary of the Sindh Government's Culture Department very, very interesting, because they did exactly the opposite. So, uh, aside from this, at the first Harappa International Conference in 2015 in Lahore, Pakistan, quite a few speakers tried to forge links between the culture of the IBC and Pakistan, but with one particular speaker arguing that the inhabitants of Harappa were, pro were proto-Muslims because of the complex water management system that existed in Harappa, which could have been made to satisfy evolution needs. <laughs> However, there have been some Pakistani scholars like Jamil Jalibi, the former vice chancellor of the University of Karachi, who have tried to distance Pakistani culture from the IBC. In his book, Pakistan, the Identity of Culture, while discussing um, people while discussing people who include ancient sites like those of Harappa and Mohenjo-daro in Pakistan's history, he proclaims that, in his own words, witness in this situation the intellectual poverty of people who, cutting themselves adrift from their history and traditions and abandoning their societies and mental environment, seek their cultural connections in Gandhara, Mohenjo-daro, and Harappa. He instead argued that Muslim, Muslims should associate their cultural her heritage with Islam and Islamic sites, such as the Kaaba and Makkah. Thus, in Pakistan, one can see how the IBC is being represented as both part of Pakistani culture and history, and sometimes as something completely distant and alien. The connected link between the two, the two, though, remains a refusal to move on from colonial narratives about the IBC. The appropriation of uh, colonial narratives surrounding the IBC in both India and Pakistan demonstrate how both countries are so paralyzed and what are now very outdated views of the past, and this has serious consequences. In Pakistan in particular, archaeology is at a standstill, with very little new research being done and existing archaeological finds being kept in very dilapidated states. That is because there is little attention paid to heritage management in Pakistan, particularly particularly something like the IBC cannot be linked to Pakistani identity or to the immediate past. To end my presentation, I would like to present a small personal example of the current state of heritage management in Pakistan. For my MPhil thesis, I'm focusing on terracotta figurines from Mohenjo-daro and what they can tell us about sex and gender in the past. After waiting months, after waiting months for a reply and waddling through miles and miles and miles of red tape, <laughs> when I finally got to Mohenjo-daro, this is how I found the figurines. Um, all excavation records, which had, which had not been updated since the 1950s, had been lost. When I tried to ask any questions about the figurines, I was told to consult, consult the volumes Marshall had published in the 1930s. The figurines were constantly referred to as the Mother Goddess figurines, a model which has been outdated for at least 30 years. From what I have read and what I have been told, this is not an isolated incident, and the upkeep, upkeep of ancient sites is similar across Pakistan. 
and unless archaeological research and heritage management strategies are radically changed, we might be in danger of permanently losing important paths, important parts of prehistoric heritage sites in Pakistan. Thank you.